All right. Welcome back to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. We have a, uh, oh, my co-host is joining us, Mr. David Ebright. He's on the lunch hour. He's jamming in the truck. He's got the AC rolling, but he made time to do it. Dave, glad to have you. Glad to be here. I've missed a couple of them. Yeah, I've been talking to all these guys that know how to kill really big bucks. <laughs> exactly. You had to you had to remove me from the show. <laughs> I had to Get increase the my talent. There. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, anyways, like, you know, you and I have been having a couple conversations that I think um, would make for a good podcast discussion. I think guys would be sitting there oh, having some good takeaways. And uh, one of those, I think, to, to, to get the ball rolling is, is, is we've talked, okay, do you want to invest 300 to $400 in trail cams? Or like you have literally purchased this morning, you are the owner of a new spotting scope. Yeah, yeah, I picked one up used. Um, it's a Vortex. Um, it's a pretty good one. It should do. Uh, should suffice for what we want to use it for. Um, but primarily, it's um, you know for early season glassing. Yeah. You know, um, we've been kind of trying to improve there for the last couple of years in that in that whole glassing phase of season. And uh, you know, I mean, how many times we've we been driving around the truck and you, you see a deer out there, and when we got what ten power binos. And you pull them up, and you're just like, I can't tell what that is because it's so far away. And you know, and when you know, don't get me wrong, we don't need to count like points and all that crap from a distance, but like just to know it's a big buck or not, you know, yeah, that'd like be, a, that'd be killer. Like yeah. a real, real frame versus a, 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 a even a two and a half year old. You know, the if you're spotting these deer in July, sometimes it's not necessarily the easiest to gauge uh you know is he a next caliber buck kind of that three and a half year old uh that could be into that 130 range or is he going to be the 110 inch you know two and a half year old eight point yeah and then plus um i mean if you think about like you know so you got a lot of these public pieces that um like the roads um like are far away from the public piece you know like say like the back end of a public piece butts up to a cornfield but there's a road like way off there in a the distance, or let's say beanfield, not cornfield. You know, um, sometimes you drive around and glass these, you know, these private fields that butt up to like a like a public woodlot that's like way back there, you know. And we can, you know, that's not a field that we can physically go glass because we'd have to just stomp all through the public. But if you get it from a distance, you know, really far away, you know, you can you can see it from a uh, from an adjoining road. Yeah. Well, and, and, and got a couple areas like that. part of this oh. conversation was, was kind of the interest that I thought like the listeners would, would oh, appreciate was you would ask me, Hey, I'm thinking about getting a, Oh, not necessarily like an entry level spotter, like a hundred dollar spotter, but I'm going to get like something. Oh, in that second tier, um, you know, we, we found that we really liked the, the diamondback binos, you know, they're, they're, you know, pick them up used $150. I think MSRP is close to that $200 range, but there's a, there's a significant performance jump when you get out of like the $80, $100 Walmart binos to, to kind of that second tier. And, and that's kind of, you know, you kind of started doing some research and, and, and you're like, Hey, I'm thinking about investing in, in some serious, you know, 300 to $400 in a spotter. And my response was, well, I've invested about $400 in trail cams. You know, I think that's a better use like that was my immediate thought was 
that's a better use of your funds is, is get some cans out because you can't go glassing as much because you're a busy family guy and you got a side care, lawn care business. And, you know, you had some good, you had some good counterpoints. And what do you think those are? Um, I guess um, one of the biggest things is I want to start going west in the future, you know, which you need a spotter for that. So it's kind of a, you don't need one, but, you know, it, it helps, you know, and it's just kind of, it's kind of like a, also a future investment so I kind of had that in mind so it didn't really feel as bad for me to buy something like that because in my mind I'm like oh I'll be using this for years to come in the future you know whereas um, you know trail camera is strictly here and strictly for deer and um, you know I've kind of personally had my ups and downs with trail camera thoughts in the years past so I'm like you know I know I've got a few more this year than I normally have and I'm starting to dive into the trail camera logic more but uh but man you know it's just that sometimes they're just a crapshoot in my mind you know sometimes they're great yeah. that's why i hate them now <laughs> yeah i think one of our speaking points was if you look at a 400 dollars spotting scope and you go to sell that in two to three years it's not going to significantly depreciate versus them trail cams hell half of your 400 dollars trail cams may not even work they may get stolen that spotter, you know, assuming you get like a Vortex that's got that lifetime warranty, that's pretty solid investment. You know, you're still going to have, it's still going to have that value. Yeah, exactly. And I got a pretty good deal on it. But even if, uh, you know, even if I were to keep it for four or five years and sell it, you know, you're talking, I might be out of pocket, you know, 50, 100 bucks, you know, might take a loss when I resell it, you know, maybe, you know, maybe not, you know, like I said, I got a pretty good price on it. So I might not even lose very much money. Like you said, you know, there's really no, there, there's really not a used market for trail cameras. No, you know, because, no, and, yeah, and everybody knows they, yeah, everybody knows they kind of have like a lifespan, you know. Yeah, and, and in fact, like unless I was gonna buy a high-end trail camera used, like I would never buy like a hundred-dollar trail camera because even after one season, like that's electronics sitting in the woods taking a beating. Like I just, I don't have confidence uh, writing that check. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we, I thought that was, oh, we've, we've had enough glassing missions where we said, damn, I wish we had a, oh, a little more power here, a little better. What, uh, Ed, let's tell the people what uh, brand and what you go with and, and maybe a little bit why, and then we'll kind of steer this conversation towards summer scouting. Um, yeah, I just got the Vortex. It's called a Vortex Skyline. Apparently, it's like an older model that's been discontinued. Um, and I was looking at the Vortex Diamondback series because we got some um, experience with the Diamondback series of binos. You know, I'm not going to be going crazy. I, I know the Diamondback series isn't like upper echelon glass, but I mean, you know, I don't, I don't need that. You know, I don't, I don't live in, and I'm not going to live in the spotter by any means. So I wanted, to, I was looking at the Diamondbacks, and this guy actually had this one, and I um, couldn't find very much information on it because it discontinued. So I called Vortex um, directly and asked them about it. And they actually said that it's a step up from the Diamondbacks, but a step down from whatever the next tier is there, The uh, I think the Vipers maybe. Um, you know, they basically said that they just rebranded and made everything, you know, um, they just wanted all the names to be the same, the, the, the series, the Diamondback, the Viper, the Razor. And so they just rebranded all their spotters. And this is just uh, – Basically, it's a little bit better than the Diamondbacks, they said. And um, like I said, I was getting a use from a guy, and it's, you know, a little bit older model, so I was able to get a pretty good price on it. 
since I was like score, you know, and I know they got the lifetime warranty that's transferable, which, you know, I don't know how strong those warranties are. You know, I don't know if you drop something and break it, if they actually, you know, help you out or not, but I have heard a lot of people with, yeah, I've heard a lot of good, good uh, people talk about like, you know, I dropped it. I ran it over. uh, My binos just fogged up and, and there was some sort of crack in the ceiling, like, and gotten stuff replaced. No questions asked. Like, Vortex, I, I feel like, has probably the best warranty. I think, I think, oh, Leupold started to, like, mirror that, like, two years ago. But, like, me, not, like you said, we, we don't live behind the glass. Like, our, our, what we need for Cadillac equipment is probably the mobile hunting stuff. And, and you know, because that's what we live and die by. We're not, one, we don't glass all the time. And, two, if I lived out west and that was, like, the make-or-break item, sure, I'd look into some of the the high-end, you know, maybe the Maven stuff or or the the super high end vortex stuff, yeah, that that would be where I'd be looking at my money if 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 I felt that was the oh make or break gear item. But yeah, we live here in the Midwest, uh, you know, starting to do a little more glassing in the summer, and then uh, like you said, going west uh, once a year, once every two years. That that's a very real possibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes some hunts I don't even end up getting my binos out of my pack. You know, I just like forget them in there or something and then at that point i'm already set up and i'm just like nah screw it and i'm not going to do all that movement to try to dig those out of the bottom of my pack yeah i blew a hunt for my sister i blew a hunt for my sister going to get my binos out of my pack at sunrise (laughs) yeah exactly like i usually have them out and i usually have them on um you know and and i definitely prefer to but i've I've forgotten them in the bottom of my pack or something at times and just said screw it i mean they're not I don't know. It's, you know, the woods here are pretty thick where we hunt and stuff. I mean, yeah, they're great to confirm that it's a buck and that way you can, you know, um, you know, get prepared to shoot as they're coming in and whatnot at a distance rather than by the time they're up on you, you know, you, you gotta try, you know, by the time they're close enough to judge them, you know, sometimes in that thick stuff, you, it's almost like too late to get, to get prepared to shoot, you know? Yeah. I have especially heard- filming. Oh, yeah. And I have personally shot a buck that if I would have glassed, I wouldn't have shot. Um, that's where it's, it, the glass is like a nice thing, especially like, you know, we, we see a decent amount of that two and a half year old 110, 120 range. And, you know, if you pull up your glass, sometimes you can be like, oh, no, he's 130. And then it's like that's a that's like a no brainer for us. I feel like, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot this one. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely nice to have. And it's to confirm movement, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. you see a flicker or something like that. You don't really know what it was. It could have just been a bird, you know. But then you pull up your binos, and you're just like, well, I'll check it out. And sure enough, it's a deer, you know. I mean, that happens That happens quite often. Now, I will say this, um, and this was made uh, to my attention from Cody and, and, and Andre. Deer catch those binos, um, the sun reflection, and, and you don't think about it a lot, but, like, one, I've been cracked and then look back at the situation. And I said, yeah, he cracked me because of my bino glare. Um, and we obviously know I noticed it a little bit sometimes with cameras because you got that big uh, reflective surface and something like I feel like the listeners should, should do if you're sitting here thinking, oh, that's a joke. If you have a truck console or a car console that sits up a, a thigh level, it's not down low, put your phone upward facing. You got a reflective surface and just drive the roads and look at how many times your eye gets a glare off of the sun that is not directly beaming it. It's not, but for whatever reason, when your phone's facing upward and you're driving around your truck, you catch so many little glares and flickers of light that you would never 
think because you're like, oh, that was a text or oh, that was a, a notification. But like it is noticeable how there's no real light beaming on your cell phone. But if it's facing up and you got that glassy flat surface, it it boom catches your eye so much. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, let's let, let's shift gears here. Um, you, you and I, uh, it is oh, by the time this releases, it's the last week in June. So trail cam season is here. The episode we did with Jake Bush kind of sparked you on this dude. If you look at the whitetail experience and you and I, our biggest hole in the bucket is what the hell are we doing from opening day, which is, you know, the last weekend in September, the 28th ish to October 15th. And, and we struggle there. And obviously like the episode with Jake Bush, he killed what seven out of eight years or something that that first week yeah yeah exactly and then yeah i don't think i mean i've seen some good bucks early i mean i've never killed one i've uh you know and i've, I've obviously killed does early but yeah i don't you know i don't know i mean right now we don't really have a solid no-brainer tactic for that time of year yeah, like you said, we can get on does, and I the earliest I've ever killed a buck was October 17th, which that's a different realm, I feel. I feel those those first 15 days of October, and our opener, obviously, is the last week of September, and it's, you know, we, we know how to go kill does that time of year, but, like, I don't have the confidence, if I look at my history, like, buck encounters, minimal. You've had some decent uh, hunts, and, and a couple buddies of ours have killed on that first cold snap. But it's yeah, it's a hole in our bucket. And after listening to Jake, I feel like you're like, okay, let's take our summer. You know, let's really try and locate some some bucks for those first 15 days. Um, and you know, you've actually purchased a couple trail cams. I've been investing in them heavily this year. Um, I guess, what's your thoughts on some of that stuff that we've been talking about lately? Well, and then we've always we've kind of ran cams a little differently in the past. You know, like because we're always so worried about being intrusive and pulling the cameras. And, you know, I think we might have gone too far, and, you know, too far into being, uh, like, too worried about that, that scent and whatnot. And we're not using the trail cameras as effectively as we could, you know. So if we, if we, if we pull them cameras, you know, a couple weeks before season, you know, and, and we got a buck in an area, you know, that's, I mean, that's huge. And then, you know, then move the cameras for, like, you know, to, like, a scrape or, like, a full season, the rest of the season soak type of spot. But I feel like we've, you know, sometimes we'll put them out in the summer and, and not even pull them till like shotgun season. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, that's good intel. But like, you know, and then, and then we we've pulled it and saw that we had a good buck in there in September. And yeah. it was like, well, I would have loved to know that because I would have been trying to kill that deer, at least trying to find him. But I think if we really focus on getting them cams pulled, you know, that second-ish week of September, you know, then that leaves us if we do get a good one on a camera somewhere, we can, that leaves us two weeks to try to go find that deer where it's feeding at by glassing and whatnot. And then maybe even, you know, kill opening day type of thing, you know, on a deer on a pattern, which it, it sounds easy, but it's just so much time glassing and finding deer because they are on a pretty steady pattern that time of year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, essentially a trail cam is a visual sighting. Um, it's a, it's a super important piece of information. And I think you and I, we have, we, we've done enough, uh, scouting type work to, to be able to go into an area and recognize, um, you know, where this book could be, if he, uh, 
more relevant zero in on a core range if he has a particular betting area he likes I feel very I feel confident enough in my ability to to have a stand on my back and, and go in for an evening hunt and, and really get some good information and and start that puzzle piece process but like if you look rewind even two years ago I last year I, I had a decent amount of cams and it did help me in my process but you know two years ago we just never had those visuals like to like essentially start the chase and, and so we're hoping that by zeroing in on an area with a couple shooters or, or, you know, even one, it's like, okay, at least we know there's one in this area. If we spend the next oh, couple days, couple hunts over the first two weeks of season, we could stumble into his core and, and potentially kill him versus just willy nilly hunting, you know, good early season spots that may not even have a shooter in that area, but it's got deer. Yeah, and a lot of these areas we've we, we've known for years and scouted and stuff pretty heavily as well. So we kind of know where the, some of the doe groups are at and some of the doe bedding areas are. So even if we kind of, you know, say we get a really good one on camera and we throw a few sits at it early thinking we can get in there and kill them early season. And even if we booger him out there a little bit, you know, we, we kind of know some of the adjacent doe bedding areas. So we can always go back and try to attack him, you know, during the rut there. You know, because I think even if they get boogered out in that early season, I mean, come November, they're going to be they're, – they're going to forget that person they saw a few weeks ago, and they're going to be trying to get some ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and um, you know, you and I, we talked about, oh, oh, some of the trail camera spotter debate was one of my points was these trail cams, they're, they're essentially working for you 24-7 – um, versus a spotter is only available when you go glass, but it, it's one of those things that you brought up. Hey, well, you remember that solo deer we saw out in the field and we glassed him, glassed him, and we could have swore there was antlers. We just never could confirm it. But that, that was another sticking point to the trail camera uh, spotter debate from earlier. Yeah. Well, and it's almost conjunction too, because like, so we get the trail cameras, we get a good one you know, on camera in an area, you know, depending on what time and, and where the camera's at, et cetera, we kind of can maybe figure out what fields he might be hitting that night. And then we could go glassing with the spotter secondary, you know, in that last week of September and then maybe kill him early season. I mean, look at, I mean, you have some of the, some of the biggest, you know, some of the what most well-known big buck killers are, are all like opening day, opening few days type of killers, you know. Like Adam Hayes, um, Andy, Andy May. May. I mean, those guys just yeah, they they just they find a deer just from you know trail cameras and glassing, and they just pattern them, and then shoot them that first you know day or two. And you know it's, it's something we've never done. I you know, and I know I got family life. We both kind of do now, but it's just it's tough to uh, it's tough to commit that much time to it. But this year I'm going to try my best to commit as many evenings as I can to sit some of these fields and whatnot. And some of these fields that are back and they're hidden by wood lines and whatnot, and I can sit on these fields, maybe glass a good one, and then really hone in my efforts on trying to trying to pattern that deer and shooting that deer. I mean, I think that'd be that'd just be an old notch in the belt, you know. Like you know, we know how to kill deer in the rut. We know how to kill deer, you know, uh, late October, like pre-rut, like kind of like that scrape phase. Yeah. Um, and then we know how to kill deer. You know, in, in late season, we've had I've had a lot of late season buck encounters, yeah. or in gun season. I mean, we we've kind of figured out how to do some of these deer drives 
to get on a good buck in, in the heavily pressured shotgun season. But yeah. that early season, that first week of season, we we just have never done, you know. I've never I've 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 passed on some good bucks that time of year. Um all in the morning too, actually. But they were all morning hunts and they were like that, you know, just a touch smaller than I wanted them to be. I think I've passed on like three or four of them in the morning early season opening weekend but never never a good one yeah yeah the um i can't i don't think i've had a decent amount of encounters but we know a buddy you know that killed a killed a, a real stud public buck october 5th on a on a cold snap and um if we look at trail cam data even like even though we don't have a lot of a lot of trail cam data but like i can think of three or four october cold snaps that the morning is a daylight picture of him yeah, and then sometimes, sometimes those morning, uh, like big buck kills, especially on public land. Sometimes I take those with a little bit of grain of salt in the early season, because I feel like that deer might have just got bumped or something. They kind of like lucked into it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, or look that, at that deer was kind of going back to bed. You look know, at that yeah, trail camp pick we had. Yeah. Of the yeah, mega. I remember that. that. Yeah. Well, he probably got bumped. You know, I mean, it's just. In the, in the morning, I think some of them deer maybe get bumped or maybe they catch a whiff of somebody because hunters are starting to hit the woods. So, they, so they're kind of relocating and kind of moving around a little bit. I mean, but you can luck into some deer that way on public. Um, mm-hmm. But like just, I don't know anybody, at least in, in our close group of friends, who's, who's like patterned a deer and killed him, you know, coming to a food source, you know, in the evening on a pattern. Yeah, J- Jake Bush is really the only guy, and and obviously I've not known him a long time, um, but that's like that's his go-to tactic. So I think we'll have to have him on and and really, oh, badger him with you, you and I, you know, just really learning and and being able to ask selfish questions. But oh, there was another point I wanted to bounce back to um, with the oh trail cams time frame. What was it? Well, I got it. I got a point here. Um, yeah. So as far as the glassing goes, I mean, you know, we can even maybe have people comment and, and, and message us or whatever about this. Now we've kind of always debated this too. So if you're just driving around you know, on some of these public pieces, you know, you might have like four or five good fields that you can um, kind of see from the road. You know, then you might have a few other fields that are back in and you got to walk in, you got glass them, you got to walk in and actually visually sit and glass that one field know which one's more advantageous you know am i better off to drive around and maybe be able to kind of that last half hour of daylight be able to check out four five six fields driving or am i better off to walk into a piece that's got a secluded field and sit that one field yeah you know, it's one field versus six yeah exactly now, i don't you, know which one's better you know you and i did some glassing together last year and then I went back solo, and because I was in the vehicle driving multiple fields, I located the same buck. The buck we almost kind of hit with the truck. Um, yeah. Crossed on that sign, and then I literally was glassing one morning two weeks before opener or a week before opener. I went to that same area, and I'd driven a few other fields before that, and I drove, you know, that road, and boom, there he was again. And, and you know, yes, I, I, I guess I could have maybe sat that solo field, and maybe that's the key if I'm sitting here spitballing out loud is – if you see one cross a road or catch them in a field one time, just to like really dial in the set, you, you then commit to that field. But I, I heard Joe on uh, Wired to Hunt talk about um, the, oh, 
he finds way better luck, you know, second tier fields, you know, that are not visible from the road. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, but he glasses way more I mean, than us. He, yeah. I think he said he glasses five times a week. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I, I you drive an hour, you know, to glass that, I mean, that's, that, that is a difference you and I talk about is some of these guys that, that like the infaults, uh, even Joe, I think he lives 15, 20 minutes from some of the public. Like that's not, shit if i could do that yeah well and then they can shine up there too which i think that's um i think that goes extremely just like slips slips by the wayside of people of how much of an advantage that is you know yeah like we would have to go sit these fields every evening and, and do all this stuff just to you know hang a million trail cameras and and drive around and glass and try to try to locate areas that have good bucks you know where i feel like if i could shine like I could, you know, I, I could just go drive around a few late nights and, and find some, you know, get an inventory of some good bucks that way. I think, I think that's a huge advantage. Well, yeah, you know, it doesn't really get talked about that much. Well, and we, we can bring up the fact that shining, say like uh, it gets dark about nine thirty, ten o'clock, you know, the wife, the kids, they're all asleep. So you're not taken away from family time, which is a very valid yeah. point, you know, that, that we were talking about. Literally, we talked you know, talking early October, bring up that point that you brought up to me the other day. Cause I think our listeners, the hardcore guys that have to balance would, would kind of yeah. agree with what you thought about. I think some of them family life uh, struggles could even be a whole podcast in itself. But the point we were talking about was, you know, we end up hunting a lot more morning. I end up hunting a lot more mornings in that early season, even though it's not, you know, technically quote unquote as good of hunting. Just, just because I can get up at 2 AM, you know, drive an hour, hour and a half, you know, walk in the woods, get set up and hunt till 10 or 11 o'clock and, you know, be home by noon. And then I got the whole rest of the day to be with my family. Whereas if you're, if you know, and then half of that hunt, so I'm gone from 2 a.m. to noon, so 10 hours, and then five or six hours of that 10, the rest of my family is asleep. Yeah, from that 2 but to if I go for an e 7, 8. Yeah, if I go for an evening hunt, you know, I'm, I'm gone. So you got to leave at, you got an hour drive. So you got to leave at like, say, even like one. 1 p.m. or so and even then you might be pushing it and then you got to drive an hour and a half you got to walk a little ways into the woods get set up hunt till dark which is how late's that in early season you're not home till 10 o'clock you know and so you're missing the full time you're gone basically is when your family's awake so you're missing you know say if you go from 10 hours in the morning you know half of that they're sleeping half of that they're awake if you go 10 hours in the evening hunt your family's awake that whole time you're gone yeah you're missing all that family time and so that's why i end up doing a lot more morning hunts it's just it's just a lot more conducive for the family you know i can get up early and just not get sleep and you know i spend most time i'm gone and doing my hunting thing they're sleeping still so you know it works out i'm not gone that much from home it just works a little bit better for for the home life yeah now i do think and something i really focused on here uh last year in october especially early was um kind of speaking on our early season oh thoughts and, and focus points is uh you know, I would only sit that first two hours. Um, I'm somebody that thinks, oh, I, you know, at least you rewind time four four years ago. Oh, the more I sit here, I got a good chance. When realistically, if I don't get a crack that first two hours, I think some of that time needs to be spent in season scouting. I could be pulling cams. I could be looking at hunting pressure in other parking lots. Um, I really think, you know, some of our in-season focus is literally not jumping in a tree unless we're on a doe mission. 
you know, until we've got something figured out that that means there, there's a shooter in there or a good one for us. It's tough because over the years, I, I, I've always seen that like kind of late morning movement by bucks specifically, you know, not just does, but bucks specifically. And um, I think it just attributes to them um, kind of shifting their bed slightly just due to when a thermal start to rise. So they might just move slightly and I'm just, I just happen to be kind of close to where they're bedding at. Maybe that's why I've seen some of that late morning movement. Yeah. Um, I honestly feel like the, the, the time to the worst time of the day, like we've talked about this for the rut. It's, it's not that like 11 to two, it's more of that, like, like that, like, I don't know, one to four is like the bad time of day. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you on the rut. Now, now the bucks you're seeing on that, that after two hour shift, but, um, now, I have seen a lot of does during that time, but I can't say, and I'm talking pre, like October 1 to October 15th. Obviously, during the rut, I actually see most of my deer, I think, between 10 and noon, or 9 and noon. Um, but outside, yeah. the, outside the rut, are you still seeing, you know, that, the, these bucks on the, that little shift uh, two hours into your hunt? If I look back at all my past hunts throughout the years, I, yeah, I have seen bucks moving at that later time. I don't, yeah, I don't know why, you know, any, there's a lot of things that could come into play there. You know, it could just be, um, you know, maybe they didn't, maybe there was a big thunderstorm the night before and they didn't get out to feed till later that night, but they wanted to lay down before to crack the daylight to get some cover. And then they, but they got back up to feed again on some acorns, you know, and do, or do a midday shift because, you know, it goes from cloudy to sunny. I mean, there's a lot of factors. Um, but like, weirdly enough, I've seen a lot of that late morning movement from bucks. It could even just be from pressure, like I said earlier. Maybe they just got bumped or something. It was just, you know, just by luck that I saw them. But, you know, no one really knows. But for some reason, that's what always keeps me holding tight in the stand. You know, yeah. it, it, it makes it makes it really hard for me to get out that stand until until 10 or 11 because cause, cause I've just seen that late morning movement so often. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I know you were, you, you were yelling at me this year to – maybe not, not, not go stomp around just yet. Um, but I, I, I do, I think I am finding myself, especially when you can stack hunts, um, when you can hunt like two out of four days or, or, or something close together, uh, two, two morning hunts back to back. I think I am seeing a lot of value in, in not being in a tree if it's not happening. And, and you bring up the point that look, the first half of October, even the first 20 days, like, you only got so many days to get away from the family before you, cause we're not burning a lot of PTO at that time or time off work that it's like, you know, it, it's a little tough mentally. And I think it's a focus point, you know, of mine to, to just continue to, to say, I'm, I'm going to really just try and scout until I feel confident. I have found, found a core area to jump into. Yeah. I mean, that's huge, you know, cause like you said, the stacking the hunts thing, because you, you you know like you hear um you've heard like infall and some of these other guys talk about uh, they'll, they'll kind of hunt from a distance you know and they maybe kind of like see the buck or try, try to get a visual the, like these observation sits you know just kind of like in-season scouting and then kind of figure things out and then move him for the kill but in order to do that you got to be hunting day after day after day you know in which we don't have luxury of that i feel like most people don't have luxury of doing that so you got to make the the most of your quick, you know, say I got a, a, a an evening to hunt, like you got to hunt, you almost, it, it's, you don't have to, it's a debate, you know, you feel like you have to hunt, but you know, well, as we've kind of learned, you know, you know, you might be better off doing more scouting, yeah. but then, 
but it's hard to go scouting knowing you're not going to be able to get in the woods for another five days. And so, it, you, you know, the scout's kind of pointless because you're at that point, you know, things change so much that time of year. A yeah. week's difference is a completely different pattern for that deer. Yeah, that's not talked. Makes it tough. That's not talked about enough in, as far as podcasts and media and and videos and that you know the time a guy like the time a guy dedicates to his craft, uh, especially chasing these big bucks, like the, the it's not talked about enough. You know the 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 hours that go into not only hunting but scouting and running cams and um you know it's it's one of those things that if you live close to a piece like hell dave like sometimes you can't even you know get to where you want to go hunting because you you don't have the big enough window it's not like you can even hunt for half an hour before work because you you know based on where we live and stuff like that yeah well and if you've heard some of these guys you know you're you're your Andre, your Adam Hayes, your, um, you know, Infault. I mean, I think I've heard all three of them guys. Well, I know I've heard Infault and Andre. I think both say that they hunt like literally almost every single day of the season. Yeah. I mean, like literally every day. I know, I think I heard Adam Hayes say he, he glassed one summer, like 87 days or something, 87 evenings he glassed. Like that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, like you said you, there, we, we'd be divorced if we did that 100% yeah yeah and he may uh checks tracks uh on pieces on his lunch hour he can drive there and, and change clothes go for for a 10-15 minute walk um and if yeah. I lived you know if I lived 20 minutes from from my primo public and not like an hour and a half or an hour or whatever it is that would be something that 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 I would be doing, but but it's it's honestly just not feasible. And, and I'm I mean I turkey hunted driving an hour one way to hunt forty five minutes, and and so I will do it. But like, it, it's one of those things that is not it's not talked about enough as far as big buck killers. Just the overall time spent on the craft. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that good. That's yeah. It's a lot more into play than just knowing what you're doing. Yeah. You got to have the time. You know, you got to you got to have the time. You know, that's what everybody's trying to do. Everybody's trying to perfect that. You know, how can I be the most efficient with my hunting? How can I spend the least amount of time in the woods and the least amount of time glassing and doing all this stuff and kill big deer every year? I mean, that's the that's that's the golden ticket right there. That's what everybody wants. It's called a cell you know, How can I be the most yeah, how can I be the most efficient? Yeah. Exactly. That's what yeah, that's that's what everybody wants to know. How how can I how can I kill big bucks every year, but I can only hunt, you know, I only got one week's vacation, you know, well, good luck. You know, it's yeah. tough. It is tough. And it's even <laughs> tough if you just spend a week in the rut because a couple of days are going to be warm. Uh, a couple of days may get spooked by other hunters. Uh, hell, yeah. you went a whole rut vacation and no, got no West winds. Yeah. And then most people have to, um, you know, most people have to take their vacation days well in advance. They had to, uh, you know, let their work know. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, what, what week they're taking off and, you know, who knows what the weather's going to be that day. Yeah. Dave, how are we doing on time with you, there? with you getting yeah, back to work? Yeah, I probably got to go ahead and, yeah, I probably got to go ahead and sign off here soon. Okay. Uh, do you have any final uh, cl- closing thoughts for, for the people? No, well, just, um, you know, keep following us along on uh, Instagram. We always, uh, once we start getting ramped up towards hunting season again, we'll be a lot more active on there with our stories and whatnot as far as um because this year we're going to try to implement more early season you know glassing and trail cam tactics and we are going to 100 percent try to locate 
a buck and shoot it early season this year, which we've never done. So just stay tuned with our journey on that, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I got a video coming out tonight to YouTube. It's uh, three things to do before you really dive in an e-scout. And it, it can be applied to local uh, public lands or if you got like a five, seven day rut trip. Definitely check that out. That's uh, that's going to go live tonight. All right. I think Team Harder and Bucks, we're out.